Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the first episode of The Last of Us, the HBO television series. This is a very expensive investment by HBO in this story. HBO, perhaps having felt like they missed the boat on The Walking Dead, a series that was pitched to them back in the day, here's their chance to maybe make a definitive zombie post-apocalypse series. Coming from the behind-the-scenes talent that brought us Chernobyl, the excellent miniseries from HBO as well, and based on one of the most highly regarded video games of all times, also called The Last of Us. This will be a two-season run, explicitly, an adaptation of part one of this video game series, as well as part two. And we start with this episode, When You're Lost in the Darkness. And we discover over the course of this episode that that refers to this rebel group within the quarantine zone called Fireflies. And it's their model that we see graffitied all over post-apocalypse Boston. When you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. A few show notes before we get to that. Welcome if you're discovering our podcast because of our Last of Us coverage. We currently are also recapping the Brian Cranston series, Your Honor, on Showtime, which is running concurrently for 10 weeks. And following this series, we will be covering Yellow Jackets on Showtime, week to week, as well as Succession, which should be starting right after, probably within two weeks of the wrap-up of this Last of Us television series. Stay tuned for all of that. Subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. Give us any of your feedback at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show, listen to some of our back catalog of series. We have covered the previous season of Succession, Severance, Barry on HBO, which is coming back sometime this summer, announced this very day in this very episode of The Last of Us, as well as House of the Dragon, The White Lotus, which we just wrapped up, another very successful HBO show. And if you're into science fiction, we recently also wrapped up The Peripheral, the Amazon Prime series. From the same creative team of the now canceled and defunct Westworld here on HBO. So a lot of content to track down. Please do look through our back catalog to catch up on some of those if you're new to the podcast. And with that out of the way, let's get into this breakdown of the episode. All right, Celia. So let's get into the breakdown of this episode, the first episode of The Last of Us Season 1. There'll be only two seasons for anybody who was not aware. There's two video games, two stories in those video games. There's a two-season adaptation. This one's called... When You're Lost in the Darkness. And this references what we find out over the course of this show is the graffitied motto of these fireflies, these uh, rebel group in this future, or actually, I guess it's an alternate present, Boston, which is in quarantine. The full reference is when you're in lost in the darkness, look for the light, presumably being the fireflies. So I always try to figure out if there's any kind of hidden meaning in the title. Uh, in this case, I think it's pretty straightforward. So we begin in this fake news panel, scientific news program, where these doctors are discussing what might be future threats to humanity. And one of them mentions it's probably some kind of virus. And another one brings up the fact that, no, he believes it's going to be a fungus, some kind of fungus. And by the way, Celia, this is why, for anybody who didn't listen to this, this is why I had brought up bringing uh, or watching as one of these table setting movies before we'd had this conversation, the girl with all the gifts, which is also premised on the idea of a fungus that can change people's behavior. I noticed that, yes. And they bring up some kind of disturbing facts here, of course, that there are fungus that can actually change animals' behaviors. This is pretty fascinating. You can watch this on video. It's actually kind of terrifying and is definitely the template for this series. There is a fungus that invades an ant's brain, certain ants. And what it makes the ant do is it basically turns the ant into a zombie that then it has to climb a stalk of grass as high as it can. It then locks its jaw onto this twig, takes over 
the body, basically consumes it. And then this giant plume of spores erupts like a giant stalk out of the ant's head. It's pretty crazy. And it's definitely what is going to be referenced here in this series. And they bring up some caveats. Well, by the way, and even more disgusting, if you really want to go down this rabbit hole, look at some of these fungal relationships with mollusks. It's really, really gross stuff, the way these uh, things reproduce. They're like, well, yeah, that happens with simple organisms, but not with mammals, for example. And this other scientist says, oh yeah, well, psilocybin is a fungus and that's what LSD and of course, magic mushrooms are made of. And that definitely has a psychological effect on people. Oh, but you can't change an animal's physiology, not a mammal. It's like, oh yeah, well, where did penicillin come from? Very good point, doctor. Uh, and of course they're saying, yes, but fungus can't survive over 94 degrees. And that's the reason that it hasn't really jumped to mammals. And he goes, well, given climate change, if temperatures rise and fungus needs to survive at a higher temperature, well, maybe it'll evolve to survive at 96 degrees, for example. And maybe that can survive inside of mammals as well, because that's our body temperatures. So all of this is kind of left dangling. Everybody's kind of disturbed <laughs> by this moment in the TV show. I think that's a really good way, though, to start oh, yeah, the series absolutely. because mm -hmm. it'll explain everything that's happening later. I like yes. that they don't over explain it, like go yes. another mm -hmm. three or four yes. minutes in because I'm still not sure what's going on in this reality that that I'm watching. And I didn't look up the video game. I have no right. idea what the storyline is. I think it's very intriguing that they started yes. it like that mm -hmm. with a horrifying explanation. <laughs> right. And, and like to your point, I totally agree. I think that's the strongest thing so far in this show compared to other zombie type series based on just one episode. And I have not played the video game either, so I don't know the full context. But I say this is a lesson for storytellers out there in general, oftentimes, especially in science fiction and fantasy shows, they feel like they have to have someone sit down and tell you everything. This is how the thing works. This is what we know. This is what we don't know, et cetera. Laying it all out on the line. And like you mentioned, I think that's one of the strong elements, strongest elements so far is the fact that we don't know everything. And I like that better. Like you said, it feels intriguing that we want to know more, but at the same time, they give you enough information so if they never told me anything else about the way this fungus works, about the way this new world works, like this military control of the population right now, given the circumstances, if I didn't know any more about this, I could basically write my own story in my head, which is fine because it keeps me satisfied. But then of course there's opportunity to develop this way more. And I assume they will. They give you just enough without having to spoon feed everything to you, which for me is so tedious to have to sit down for 10 minutes of someone telling me everything that's happening. Isn't that the purpose of the show <laughs> to explain these things to me? I don't want to know it all in one sitting. It's also great that they introduce the characters in a way that gives their backstory right away. Right. So once we uh, you know, leave that tantalizing setup, this explanation that this fungus is going to be the very thing that we're going to see play out across the show. We jumped to 2003 and we're in Austin, Texas. We get introduced, like you mentioned, to Joel and his daughter, Sarah. We're not being spoon-fed what their relationship is like. We're just seeing them live their lives. And through that, we see what their relationship is. He's a war veteran. This is an alternate 2003. So it's immediately after the second Gulf War. When, this, when things start popping up on the news, they start seeing strange warnings they start thinking, well, maybe it's a terrorist attack because you know it's only a couple of years after September 11th. We don't know where Sarah's mom is, but we know that Joel is a single dad. We know that he's kind of a screw up. I think in very, very short order, they build a very uh, strong 
affinity for the two of them, especially for Sarah, right? Because unfortunately, this is very sad, but of course, that's the big emotional pull that happens here in this, this episode. And of course, very important to Joel as well is Tommy, his cousin, Tommy. They're doing contracting work and she's kind of out on her own. This is all really nicely fleshed out. You see her getting, basically borrowing money from him or stealing it, I guess, uh, to fix his watch, which he still wears throughout the rest of the show. A reminder of her. And they have a nice day together. They actually end up watching a movie together. We get introduced to the neighbors. This is actually where the outbreak gets closest to them. The grandmother has this kind of scary moment where she's in the background and she starts to twitch. To, to your point of how things aren't explicitly defined all the time, don't know how she got infected, right? Because she's not nowhere near apparently anyone else was in, infected, but maybe it's just in the air. Maybe these spores just travel. And then if that's the case, then why are some people infected? Some people are not infected. So all of this is yet to be explained in any kind of detail, but the grandma has been infected that night when Joel has to run out because Tommy's been arrested yet again. Apparently this is a pattern for him, but apparently he was doing it for a normal reason. It turned out he was probably defending a woman from one of these infected people. She goes next door because the dog is out and about. How scary is it, by the way, this dog, I find it very convincing when animals are scared on screen because people, of course, are actors. We're used to seeing performing for us. But when you see an animal be actually scared, even though, of course, it's performing as well, there's something more scary about it. Like, how did they get that dog to be so scared? <laughs> yeah, I agree. The fact that they made this helpless grandmother, she must have dementia, she's in a wheelchair, so powerful, right. creeped me out because she was terrifying. And now <laughs> right. there are people out in the world who are stronger than this lady. What are they doing? The damage that's occurring is massive. Actually, a critique I have here, I have an issue in general with zombies being like superpowered. The, uh, you know, when you think about a rabid animal, right? Like a raccoon who is dead set on biting you, uh, even though you are completely overpowered raccoon. And, but because this raccoon has no wits about him anymore, speaking of, you know, another creepy analogy to this possible infection, that raccoon can kill you. That raccoon could literally kill you, even if you're beating it in the head with a log. And you hear stories like this, because until its central nervous system is completely disabled, until you shoot its head off, it will just keep coming at you because the virus is telling it to bite you, right? So it is totally believable that someone could just like come at you uh, and they don't have to be the strongest person in the world. Like a child could, you know, overpower you if it has like, you know, if it's completely just tearing at you, all of this is possible. What I don't believe is that some little frail old woman who could barely walk around is now suddenly like superpowered, right? Like it just doesn't make any logical sense. That's why if she can do this, then someone who is much more powerful, in my head, I'm assuming that they are way more dangerous than what we were looking at what she was doing and she was terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, I just have, it's my, a pet piece of people of mine that where the, you know, the zombies suddenly are more powerful than they were, you know, like they, I have no problem with them being equally strong as they were before. That's dangerous <laughs> and that's dangerous enough, but that they could suddenly like sprint across the house on all fours. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if that really works out in my lunch, but that's just me nitpicking, just nitpicking. In general, yes, it's an effective scene. Uh, but I personally find it even scarier that this fungus is like coming out of her mouth. These like tendrils are coming out. Imagine it's just your grandma sitting there and you just got too close to her. You leaned in and she just like sunk her teeth into you, right? And then your jaw is the most powerful muscle in your body. Just clamp on. That's how, you know, wolves kill their prey, for example. They just clamp them and they just sit there and they wait until the animal dies. So that I could buy, that she can like leap across furniture. <laughs> I'm not so convinced. That's my nitpick. <laughs> But it worked because it was uh, it was very creepy. Yeah. 
And then given that, by the way, I'm not even sure like a bash to the head would have like really taken her out. She's super powered now, right? So anyway, that's, once again, me nitpicking here, nitpicking. <laughs> and then we have them get into this car and we get this really cool extended sequence, very reminiscent of Children of Men, another film that I recommended here as kind of a preamble to, to this I series. love Children of Men. Yes, it's excellent for anybody who hasn't seen that one. This is like really just well thought out, not only the f- having to shoot this whole thing and choreograph it, but also this, uh, you know, the way it plays out. Like you see the camera, you see what's happening behind the car, you see them changing directions, you see them running into traffic, you see them shooting, running across this open field. Then they're in downtown Austin. I don't believe this was shot in Austin, though. I believe it was shot in Ca- um, Canada, but I guess it looks like downtown Austin. And then they're trying to get to the river. And I know, of course, once they get down to downtown uh, Austin, they are surrounded by people who are also trying to escape. And it just keeps going. It keeps escalating. They have these planes. That, another thing that's not explained, by the way, why are these planes flying in so uh, close? And they're trying to land on the, maybe the airport got shut down and they're running out of fuel. Um, this is me speculating purely, but they're trying to land on the boulevard. And of course they blow up and you know basically kill everybody almost on that boulevard. Now these infected people are attacking these people who are disabled and they're still trying to make it to the river and apparently potentially rescued by this military person who's in um, a suit, but he gets his orders that if they don't know if they're infected or not, they have to kill them. And he apologizes, says, I'm sorry. He shoots at them. Joel only gets grazed. Tommy shows up just in the nick of time. But then of course, poor Sarah dies. And this scene, Pedro Pascal, five stars, <laughs> five stars, Pedro, for uh, this incredible scene when he, she, when he realized that she's passed away. Totally heartbreaking. I was, I was tearing up. It was really, really great scene. And the actress did an amazing job oh, the entire incredible. time. Yeah, I, I, I t- touched on that briefly at the beginning. I forget where I've seen this actress in something before as well. A British actress, by the way, if you stayed and watched the bonus material at the end. It's so funny they get all these British people to play Americans, but <laughs> it happens over and over again. Anyway, you fall in love with this little girl over the course of just this half hour of TV. So you really feel it because, of course, you really have to feel that because that is the thing that has turned... Joel into this mercenary in, in the future. He really has no reason to live anymore, but he somehow trudges on. I guess Tommy is his one reason to continue. Then we jump ahead 20 years. It's the um, an alternate present. We're in Boston now. And interesting that, you know, after only 20 years that you see how nature has kind of overwhelmed public places. And this is an interesting documentary series that kind of showed what the world would look like after 20 years without people, you know, uh, uh, 50 years without people, et cetera. And it's pretty amazing how nature will just kind of reclaim a space pretty quickly. Maybe that's a metaphor also for this fungus getting, you know, eradicating us as well from earth. Overbrook, is that what it's called? The uh, mental hospital near us? It was, yeah. You know, that was abandoned for not even 20 years. And we used to ride our bikes through there before they put the new development there. There's all those new condos there now, but it was incredible. The roofs had collapsed. Trees had were literally growing from the middle of the buildings, like full-grown trees. You could have just shot the entire Walking Dead there without any set decoration at all. <laughs> but it's- We used to run through there at night. Yeah, I mean, imagine like 20 years later how it had completely uh, been decimated by nature, just uh, reclaiming everything. The, the, the sidewalk was all cracked because the roots were just spreading. You know, the trees were getting bigger and it, it basically had consumed the entire space. So it's pretty amazing to like see also now the city all overrun and destroyed and uh, nature just kind of crawling everywhere, overgrowing everything. And we see this little boy emerges from the woods and he finds the quarantine zone and they bring him to the facility. And we find out this is the process, right? This is the intake process. They check to see if you're infected or not. The screen turns red. 
they say, we're going to give you a little bit of medicine, this very sweet lady who's trying to make this as painless as possible. And then you can play with as many toys as you want. You can eat any candy you want. Very sad because what they do is they either kill him with the drugs or just knock him out. And then they incinerate his body. <laughs> and Joel apparently is on the cleanup crew. He's taking any odd jobs he can. So this he isn't money, even yes. an organized cleanup crew. It is pick a job the day before. You're like a temp or something for just random jobs that they have around the city just to keep the city from completely collapsing in on itself. He takes jobs wherever he can, but that is a disturbing job. The partner he had, which we end up seeing as his partner, romantically can't even do this job. It's so morbid. Well, specifically with the, the little boy, who was probably a bridge too far for her. He reluctantly does it, or but you know he's probably dead inside at this point, many times over. Like you mentioned, he's ta probably taking any job. The more um, unlikable the job is, <laughs> the more likely he is to take it, right? Because he actually wants and to it earn pays more. I mean, I he don't think the these people exactly. have job security. Just They're just everyone trying to survive out there with no family left. I'm sure they just get rations from the military. It comes off it, it, like a concentration camp, though. They can't leave it. People can't come in. Well, I mean, that's basically what it is, right? Imagine that the only people who can be inside are people who are not infected. Uh, to enter, you need to prove that you're not infected. And if you leave, you get killed, right? You literally f face a death sentence because they're trying to keep the infection from getting into this quarantine. So this is a totalitarian regime. And the fire, uh, I guess we start, we'll segue into that conversation. There is this rebellion group that's trying to overthrow this military dictatorship. But at the same time, the military is just keep trying to keep these people from getting infected. Although, I mean, this I'm sure will get fleshed out over time. If this thing is just an airborne toxin and that's how people are getting infected, like that old lady got infected at some point, if these people haven't gotten infected until now, can they get infected? Like there's probably a lot that they are, these people don't yet know. And maybe that's what the fireflies are trying to figure out. This is just episode one. So I'm sure there's much, much more story to find. There could out. be natural immunity. Right, exactly. And then if that's the case, then some of these people should be able to move in and out. But at this moment in time, even though it's 20 years in, apparently they don't know enough or have enough confidence to let people to even enter and exit, right? You literally face a death penalty for trying to sneak in or trying to sneak out. Either way, you get a death sentence from the powers that be. And he's trying to get as much money as he can. We start seeing that graffiti around, the one that I mentioned in the title of the show. He's part of some black market smuggling drugs from other facilities into the compound. This is how he gets his way to sneak in and out. He apparently has this one soldier that he's kind of befriended, really because he's a drug dealer. But he does warn him to stay off the streets at night because they're doing extra rounds to try to control this rebellion, the Fireflies. And then little by little, we kind of discover that really what he wants to do is he wants to go and find Tommy. It's interesting the way you, once again, can connect the dots and figure out what everybody's jobs are. You kind of figure out that he's running drugs and that's how he's getting around these loopholes or creating loopholes that he can go through. You find out that Tommy apparently is outside the wall and he is heading to some tower somewhere in, Mon was it Montana, Wyoming, somewhere uh, in the Midwest. And he hasn't responded and normally he responds within a day. So you figure out from that, that it's something that happens re regularly. So this is not surprising. They've been in and out of that compound multiple times. Once again, if they can do that without infecting people, then maybe this is too much control. Maybe there's a reason this rebellion is 
trying to break out from this oppression. And also we find out, for example, that there's this radio operator who's able to get messages in and out. They use codes to get messages in and out via, I guess, playing music for each other. And there's codes that are inside the music. That's going to play out a lot here. You're going to hear lots of songs from the 80s, I have a feeling, <laughs> on this in this uh, TV series. And what code was that? Trouble? 80s, yeah. 80s means trouble, which Ellie cracks, but we haven't met Ellie yet. So we find out that there's this way of communicating through these songs. There's a radio operator that's kind of getting messages in and out. There's this network of people that are smuggling things across borders. So there is a way to get across not only military people, but other people as, as well. There is this mystery as to why are some people infected, some people are not. Don't you think it's interesting how even up to the part where you're describing the plot, you start noticing that if you tear down society, you get camps of people that either want to change everything that came before or just want everything to stay the same or are trying to use this as an opportunity to take power for themselves. Like all of this is playing out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that is once again, watching this uncomfortably in the context of the pandemic, there's a lot of resonance here because you see those exact factions break out. You had people who were having armed um, responses, not because they were being like walled in and military people were making them stay inside their homes. They had people who were saying like, I am going to take arms and overthrow the government because they want me to wear a mask. You know, it's like, it's like okay, maybe you've taken, and, but don't get me wrong, their concerns, their fear is that you're on a slippery slope to that extreme. Uh, so there, it definitely is a risk, right? That you can envision a world, like look in uh, China, right? Where they had these very, very extreme lockdowns and now they basically can't maintain them anymore because of the internal uh, strife that is created. And you know now COVID has come back in a, play, in a population that is very lightly exposed to COVID. And now they're having very high death rates there finally. Uh, you know, they were unable to contain this. And once again, maybe another important lesson there that it's going to be impossible to completely bypass nature. Nature is all around us, right? So it's something that's eventually going to catch up with us. But it is interesting, like you mentioned, there's always going to be these factions. There's going to be people that even if it's irrational, they will fight against any kind of even implied oppression. But then when there is an overreach of power, then you need those people to be the counterbalance to that. And then on the other hand, you have the situation where you have people who overreact, like for example, what if legitimately letting people in and out willy-nilly infected everybody and killed this small remainder of humanity in there? And what I thought about actually watching this is the excellent, until the last season, but until the last season, the truly, truly excellent Battlestar Galactica reboot that came out a few years ago. And if anyone's never caught up on that, definitely watch that. A terrible final season, unfortunately, but the rest of the show is truly excellent. And it deals with all of this, right? You have this, the earth is basically eradicated at the beginning of that show. And now you have these surviving people who are trying to find a new home and they need to work in coordination to survive till this, you know, make it to this other planet. And, but then internally, there are these people who bristle against any kind of military or governmental control. And they are basically become terrorists against the, the the governing forces. And maybe the governing forces are doing too much. That's something that is explored in that series. But at the same time, it's like, you know, potentially if we do what you want us to do, we may end up exterminating the entire world population. So, you know, there's there's the risk of that as well, right? And that's and that's the tension, right? Because at this moment in the show, we don't know who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. What I was thinking is also that I had empathy for everyone because yeah, I don't course. have enough information. Right. And it's also what you mentioned about they're giving us information that we need 
to be in the moment is what I felt, which, is, and they're doing it perfectly. They're not leaving me with weird gaping holes that they forget about. Cause that happens sometimes. So I feel like I'm all caught up, but I still feel like there's a lot going on that I'll have to think out for myself. Does yes. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you know, so I have just enough room to think for myself, but the plot is going along brilliantly. <laughs> I'm so right. happy right now. Yes. I thought this was like really as well as you could handle this type of material. And to your point, I, if I had to guess, I would say that I think we're probably not going to have someone have these type of Battlestar Galactica like drawn out storylines where this person's right because of this reason and this person's wrong because of that reason and delving into all these different um, political philosophies. I very much think, and this will be to the credit of the show if this is the direction it goes in, I very much think it's going to be specifically a streamlined version of this, these two characters on this road trip. But everything you're talking about, all those tensions, all those different affiliations, the fact that there are going to be good people on both sides of the argument that are going to end up being enemies to these people because they have different agendas or they don't know what their agenda should be. Like everyone's just trying to grasp at straws here. And that's going to be the tension in the show. And it's already starting to play out here. And I, and I do look forward to that because I think that's the right way to explore this type of material is to just put someone in the center of it, just put people in the circumstance. And then all of a sudden your empathy does get divided, right? Because you're like, I want them to succeed, but I don't want them to exterminate the human race at the same time. <laughs> you might have different, you know, you might have competing agendas, right? So it's possible. But, and that's that's good. I like that ambiguity in a, in, a, in a TV show. So over the course of this, you know, we know that Joel's trying to find Tommy. He needs to get a truck, which I think he has already set that up. He needs a battery for the truck. We see his girlfriend, Tess, played by Anna Torv from Fringe and Mindhunter, a pretty recognizable actress. Meanwhile, in parallel, we have discovered that there is this girl, Ellie, and we suspect pretty early on, this is uh, Ellie played by Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones. She played uh, Leanna Mormont. Wasn't she good in that? (laughs) Yes, fantastic in that show. And uh, I'm sure she'll be excellent here. Another British actress with an American accent here. Apparently, we find out her whole backstory. She was an orphan found by the Fireflies. They had put her into this military school for safekeeping. Once again, this is all implied from the conversation. Nothing's explicitly said. And we're not sure how she, not only did she escape at some point, she had gotten this, she had escaped and been infected. She was attacked by one of these infected people. She has this healed bite on her arm. And even though she's positive, she's currently positive. We find that out at the very last moments of this episode. She's infected with this, but she's completely asymptomatic. So the question becomes, if she is this person, then is she an outlier? Is she the only one that's this? Or is this common? and the military is keeping this all under wraps. There might be a much bigger conspiracy here. Regardless, they want her to get tested. They have a complex on the West Coast somewhere where they want to get her to. And now here we have this circumstance where there's that goddamn battery, that one battery that everybody wants to buy has killed how many people over the course of this one episode of TV show. And now it basically sets up the situation where Joel and Tess and Ellie heading to the West Coast together because they have two competing missions. He only wants to make it as far as Wyoming or wherever Tommy is, but she'll go at least that far. And then I'm sure, inevitably, they will end up becoming travel companions all the way through or as far as they could possibly make it this season. And that's where we leave things. And of course, on the radio, we hear Never Let Me Down by Depeche Mode, a song from the 80s because there's trouble brewing. 
<laughs> I love that they have that aspect of different eras of music to kind of loop you in on what's going to happen. Oh, there's going to be many, many nostalgic needle drops. <laughs> I am absolutely sure of that whole season. So I love this so far because even though you don't like The Walking Dead or you just got sick of looking at it, that was yeah. a huge hit in the beginning for a reason. The way they right. had set up The Walking Dead with the characters and the characters would branch off probably because it went on for way too long. There were too many branch offs. This is only two seasons, you said, right? It's not going to go on yeah. for 15 years. Yeah. The characters here are going to be even more well-developed as we go along. We'll become even more invested in them. And the way they've set up the story so far, I, I'm not going to say brilliant, but like very satisfactory. I can't yeah. complain about it. It's very, um, it feels stable. <laughs> stable. That doesn't sound exciting though. <laughs> right. But, but I, I mean, like but this stuff. So I feel like it's not going to fall apart. My only concern is that, is kind of what you're touching on, is that it does feel a little too much like The Walking Dead to me, but I'm still think that it's exceptionally well made. As an uh, analogy, another excellent show from last year, also from HBO, was Station Eleven. And that's a show that is a post-apocalyptic show, not a zombie show, but post-apocalyptic, like Stephen King's The Stand, just as one example of a virus goes and kills most of the people on earth, and then society collapses, and then society has to renew itself. So not unheard of. We have seen these stories before, but that story was so exceptionally well done. The characters were so well fleshed out that I think that's what made that one stand above. And I really have the same expectations of this, given the pedigree of the story and of the show itself. And everything so far, I think, is in line with that. And more importantly is I thought the upcoming scenes, I don't know if you saw that, to what you touched on earlier in this conversation, where the show might be going, you see, for example, they're up in the mountains and it's snow covered and the fungus probably can't spread up there because of the temperature. And he seems to be having a conversation with people up there saying like he needs, they need help. And they're like, we are okay. Like we are safe here. We don't want to get involved, right? And we see other vignettes like that in the coming this season scenes. It's going to be interesting to see people as they cross the country dealing with this in very, very different ways. And they're going to be intersecting with all these types of different cultures. The thing I ended up getting tired of with The Walking Dead, obviously what appealed about that series in the first place was this very theme. What happens to society once you collapse? What happens after that? And I felt with The Walking Dead, it was really so one note. You only trust the people who are standing next to you. People in general are totally terrible. The zombies are not the problem. The problem is people. <laughs> and it just happened over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, I got it after the eighth year of that show. I'm like, I got it. I got it already. Okay. I got it. Well, that show turned out to be more of a, whenever I see it, I would think comic book because there would be different camps of people and they had their own way of thinking and their own way of torture. I don't feel like that's going to happen here. I feel like they're going to follow these people through the world, like you were saying. That would be so cool, by the way. I hope that's yeah. what's going to happen. And I love your analogy of how everyone in different cultures are progressing in the situation. Right. But I feel like we're going to be following a small group of people and we're going to see that through their eyes. This right. feels more yes. personal mm -hmm. to me. Yeah. 
yeah, I think ideally that is what I want to see the show be. Basically, I guess I think I, I guess I just <laughs> solidified that in my own mind. The thing I want the show to be is exactly that. These people become our surrogates. It's the way to look into that. And then as you keep running into these different communities, these different people they run into, you see different ways that they're dealing with it. And like you mentioned, in this Boston circumstance, everything's in lockdown. That's how they're dealing with it. But that's not how everybody across the country is going to be dealing with it. And seeing all these different, the successes, the failures of all those different communities, uh, you know, explored in the background as we just have this one mission that they're on to find out why is this girl different and can she somehow save this you know, or, or change the circumstance. And of course, people are going to be vested in maintaining things as is. They're going to be afraid of what change might mean, uh, or she could be a threat to their current power structure, right? So she's going to have lots of targets on her for different agendas. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the, what's going to happen over the course of the show. And we have nine more episodes to uh, explore all of that. Excellent. I hope they're not all an hour and a half long, though. <laughs> I do have to <laughs> that say. was really long. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was watching it last night, and I'm like, I'm staying awake. Well, I had no trouble staying awake because I was very uh, invested, super interested. So I hope that everything that we just talked about, like how this is going to go forward, is what happens. Because <laughs> <laughs> how cool would that be? I like when plots are simple but complicated like yeah. simple enough that you understand the plot and it doesn't divert into locations. It really didn't need to go, but um, complicated enough that you can see things for yourself. If we can see what's going on out there through the eyes of these people, just these few people, not a hundred thousand people, that would be amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Very interested so far. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank thank you for the conversation. And we no will touch, problem. Okay. We'll touch bye. base again next week. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye.